Beginning the class, of course, with um, bringing refuge to mind. Refuge is, is such a crucial cornerstone to Buddhism. Um, you know, samsara is characterized by discomfort or suffering or, you know, this sort of sense that we don't always have control over our environments. And um, Buddhism, you know, Buddhism provides this sense of shelter, this sense of protection, this sense that there's things that we can rely on. And we've talked about how karma is something that we can rely on, which is both for better or for worse, because the types of behaviors that we do, the way that we train our mind, the way that we use our language, the types of actions that we do are putting into place these causes that are going to come back at us as our future experience. That's that's like a the model of karma in a nutshell. Um, but also we we go for refuge to the the three jewels: Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And one of the things uh, about karma is that um, with spiritual practice in general, I, th I think it's helpful to, to think about what our strategy is. Um, how are we thinking about our spiritual life? What are the, the techniques and practices that we're using to sort of manage our spiritual life? And karma gives us um, many different approaches. Many, you know, there's a lot of different ways of looking at karma that we can use um, as uh, strategic ways to to manage our behavior in a way to sort of coax our lives in a in a spiritual direction. And some of the things that we've talked about in the the previous classes are um, virtuous and non-virtuous karma, the ways of that we um, create positive or or negative results in the future. Um, that's why we talk about the the precepts, um, the or the or the vows, sometimes called vows, um, which are the making a commitment to ethical action, and that's usually a ceremonial, uh, you know, a ceremonial commitment where working with a spiritual teacher, um, you sort of go through a a, a ceremony where you commit to keeping. Uh, uh, vows of morality and so we talked about what the the ten major precepts are in a previous class and the precepts are about not creating new bad karma but also ways to strategically create new good karma so in order to reduce the negative things that happen to us in the future we stop creating negative karma non-virtuous karma and in order to maximize the positive things that come to us in the future. We want to maximize the, the good karma that we're creating. So that's another one of our, uh, that's another potential strategy, right? Just working with virtuous and non-virtuous karma. Um, uh, and, but when we're thinking about Buddha and Buddhahood, you know, like coming back to going, refu going for refuge to Buddha, um, Buddha is this bigger than life figure, but it's more than that. It's a it's a principle that that our consciousness is transformable. You, one of these one of these characteristics of 
of karma is that things are always changing. And the, the, the things that we experience are, are the results of causes put into place in the past and the way that we react to them is what's creating the karma that's going to come to us as future experiences. But with Buddhahood, we're trying to get past that sort of navigating the, the rocky road of samsara and, and start working in a clear direction towards um, spiritual clarity. And, and Buddhahood is this, this, the ideal goal of that. So when we're going for refuge to Buddha, where we are taking shelter, we're getting protection, solace, comfort in this idea that because our consciousness is changeable, we can move it in a positive direction. We can, there are things that we can do to, to make our lives better and to improve the quality of our consciousness. And ultimately, we can end suffering uh, permanently. And that's the promise of Buddhahood, and that's the refuge that Buddha offers. Um, and so similarly, refuge in the, the Dharma is the refuge in the practices, refuge in the teachings, that there are things that we can do. So that's why we study these things and, and um, take these kinds of courses, is that we're, we're trying to learn techniques. We're, we want to learn that there are things that we can that we can do, activities that we can put into practice, techniques that we can use, strategies that we can develop that are going to help us move in the right direction. And refuge in the Sangha, of course, is the community uh, of friends that we have. So like Lauren was saying just a moment ago that we have this celebration coming up at our center. And that is like quintessential example of taking refuge in Sangha, that we can be together and support one another in, in our practice. Um, building those relationships is really important. Um, one time in one, of the, in one of the suttas, one of Buddha's students says to him, say, one of Buddha's students says to Buddha, um, having spiritual friends is an important part of the spiritual life. And Buddha replies, no, it's the, it's the most important thing in the spiritual life. It's the whole of the spiritual life. Having a spiritual community is the most important thing that you can do to keep yourself on track and to have support. Um, knowing that you have spiritual friends that you can connect to and rely on. But coming back to um, Buddhahood um, and, and working with strategies of karma to move in the direction of Buddhahood. Um, the, the way that we look at Buddhahood from the perspective of karma is that there are two aspects to a Buddha that we want to put into place sufficient causes in the present and with our actions that are going to lead to these results in the future. And we, we have basically two characteristics. We have our physical body and we have our mind. And, and, and similarly, Buddhas have a body and a mind. Um, the, the, physical Buddha, the physical bodies of a Buddha, uh, called rupakaya, the form body, is, um, is created by putting into place these causes of, uh, from karma that are going to lead to that result. And the mind of the Buddha, called the dharmakaya, is similarly put into place through creating these, through, through creating these causes. 
So, and I'm speaking specifically from the approach of using karma to move towards Buddhahood. Um, it, you know, we can use karma, we can use karma strategically to improve the quality of our life, but ultimately we want to not just aim for making things a little better, we want to aim for the highest spiritual goals that we can, that we can. And one of the, one of the teachings of, of Buddhism is that we have to use uh, every opportunity that we have to move ourselves forward spiritually. And we have in our life a lot of opportunity to do that. One of the um, pieces of evidence of that is that we have time and space to come to, to Dharma teachings, um, that we have the, the necessary resources of shelter and food and prosperity that we can set aside time for spiritual practice. And that's evidence that we need to take advantage of this opportunity and work towards spiritual development as one of our top priorities. So from the karma point of view, working towards the body of the Buddha, the Rupakaya, is based on the collection of merit. And working towards the mind of a Buddha, the Dharmakaya, is through the collection of wisdom. So merit is what we do with our actions and with our speech. The, act, the actions that we do, the, these things that we do with our, with our physical body, with our speech, we're acting in the physical world. These are the ways that we train our karma and move our karmic trajectory towards um, having this ideal physical state. And similarly, how we use our mind is creating the causes that is leading us to this ideal mental state. I use mental in quotes because a Buddha doesn't have a normal mind the way that we do. They don't experience the world with dualistic conceptions or conceptual overlays. Buddhas are dwelling in emptiness and recognizing the pure relationality, the pure interconnectedness of everything. Um, now, this course isn't really a course on emptiness, so I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. but. Um, there's other teachings available to, to, um, to learn more about that and to get practices to, to develop um, meditations on emptiness and things like that. The, the key point here is the, this idea of the collection of merit and the collection of wisdom. So the collection of merit is based on um, the, the, this bodhisattva principle of um, maximizing our altruism working as much as possible uh, for the benefit of others. This is, as we've talked about in the, the previous classes, what makes virtuous karma is that we are um, trying to alleviate others' suffering. And we're doing you know, acts of generosity, acts of kindness towards others, meaning that we are restraining, at, at, at the minimum, restraining um, you know, harmful actions, um, but at best we are we are um, create we are we are doing we are acting in altruistic ways, um, and this is based on this principle of karma that what we experience is the result of the of what we're of what we put into place. 
the actions that we do in the present are creating the conditions, the causes that are going to come back to us as our future experience. Things that we do that are selfishly motivated are going to recreate the causes of, it, of living in a selfish kind of world where people are um, self-interested. And, and selfishness is, is kind of a basic problem. And I, so when I use selfishness, I don't necessarily mean greed like not being willing to share a donut with somebody, but I mean self, self-interestedness, um, um, self, you know, being, reinforcing our, our self-identity as being primary, of primary importance. That's that dualistic distinction of, of seeing me as myself and then the rest of the world as not me. And that basic distinction, that basic dualistic distinction is like the fundamental flaw in, in Buddhism. So the, the way we overcome that flaw is by um, working altruistically in helping others. And the, the, greater to the, the, the greater degree that we can do that means that our karma is increasingly, we're increasingly creating more and more virtuous karma. The karma that we're creating is more virtuous. Virtuous simply means that we're putting into place the causes that for, for future results that we want to have, pleasant future results. And that's based on altruism. So a bodhisattva is a being who is maximizing this by, by creating as much virtuous altruistic karma as they possibly can. They're laser focused on enlightenment. And indeed, bodhisattvas realize that the bodhisattva's altruism, it is motivated by compassion, um, wanting to end suffering, but bodhisattva's altruism is also motivated by wisdom, recognizing that the path to Buddhahood comes from creating karma. In other words, to get Buddhahood for oneself, one must want Buddhahood more for others than one wants it for, for themselves. That's how to create this upward spiral of positive karma that leads towards Buddhahood. So collecting merit is this path of creating the, the body of a Buddha, a body that is free from pain, that is, um, they, they describe the, the, the um, body of a Buddha, the way a Buddha experiences their own body as being perpetually in bliss um, surrounded by other Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in a world that is um, perpetuated, like the engine of the world is perpetuated by generosity and altruism. And then the other aspect of a body of a Buddha is that they are so powerfully motivated to help others that they actually can exist physically in multiple locations at once. This is what's called the emanation body of a Buddha, where a Buddha can can like spawn multiple versions of themselves that are all acting to help other people. So the more altruism, the more altruism, the more that one can work towards benefiting others, the greater the karma of their experience that comes back to them as having more capacity to help others. And so on you go to the point where you like kind of flip this switch and toggle over into Buddhahood where there's unlimited capacity to help others and also unlimited you know, experiencing of uh, of peace and bliss and comfort in one's own in one's own experience. Um, it's difficult to really conceptualize this because of Buddhahood's you know Buddhahood is be, is literally beyond conception. It's a it's a non conceptual state. Buddhas are doing this automatically, 
but we have to train ourselves to head in that direction. The collection of wisdom to create the mind body of a Buddha. A, a Buddha is continually experiencing the world as uh, all causes and conditions are, are operating in an integrated whole. Um, they, they no longer see discrete objects. They see only patterns of relationships. This is one of the ways of looking at emptiness, talking about the lack of self-nature to objects and phenomena and people. Things don't exist as objects. They only exist as relationships. And the fundamental flaw of ignorance that creates dualism, that creates samsara, that perpetuates these problems, is that we perceive that, that we, I perceive myself as as uh, distinct from my environment and I, and I perceive the objects in my environment as dis discrete objects. The, the wisdom of Buddhahood perceives these things as patterns of relationships where no object exists except in relationship to all other objects. And each being's per perception of, of everything is valid and accurate because, their because it's coming from their unique perception. Buddhas can see all of that in a <clears throat> in a pattern as a as like a matrix or or a web of relationships. <clears throat> so they're not deceived by appearances of dualism. Um, one of the kind of paradoxes of the mind of a Buddha is that Buddhas can perceive they they can perceive discrete objects. They just don't. They're not, they're not deceived into thinking that those discrete objects exist as discrete objects. They recognize that those discrete objects only exist <clears throat> in relationship with other things. So they both perceive objects and they also perceive the emptiness or the lack of self-nature of the objects. So this is the, the, the mind body of a Buddha that we're working towards. And the, the way to, to work towards that karmically <clears throat> is the collection of wisdom. And the, the collection of wisdom is mind training, that where we, where we train our mind in the importance of altruism, where we train our heart in compassion and caring, where we, we, um, we starting with intellectual practices, we work on breaking down our self-conception. We begin to, to train ourselves in, in learning about interdependence and practicing seeing the world as a web of relationships rather than um, collection of discrete objects. Um, so training in emptiness, this is this is the Prajnaparamita teachings of, of Buddhism, like the Heart Sutra and the Diamond Cutter Sutra. Um, those are texts that are teaching the, uh, the collection of wisdom, teaching how to access the collection of wisdom. So, you know, one of the things we talked about uh, one of the aspects of karma that we talked about is how we are training our mind to have new habits. Um, if we're not training our mind, we just kind of default to reacting to the world based on how we feel about things in the moment. But we can learn how to observe our reactions and train ourselves in new reactions. And at first, that takes a lot of effort and a lot of practice, which is why one of the things we talk about a lot in Buddhism is practice. Um, 
we are practicing to, to retrain our mind to behave in different kinds of ways, to react in different kinds of ways. In the collection of wisdom, what we're doing is, is practicing seeing how things are relational rather than objective. And when we, when we are experiencing a mental affliction about something, like somebody says something offensive to me, or I read something offensive, or I, um, you know, I, I break something that's valuable to me and I feel upset about the loss of the thing, um, the collection of wisdom is to begin to practice seeing how things are created by causes that were put into place in the past, how all, how all objects and phenomena are, are temporary and um, are constantly changing, and how our uh, emotions and our reactions are um, habits that we can begin to train ourselves in changing. And then as we can go deeper in that, we, we can train our, our mind using meditation, um, developing techniques like shamatha, um, single-pointed concentration, uh, deep relaxation, developing stillness and the ability to, to keep the mind um, stable as we place it on, on, on an object of our choice, how we can observe more subtle, more and more subtle layers of consciousness how we can, can begin to uh, experience our consciousness without being distracted by the contents of consciousness. We can begin to habituate ourselves to pay attention to base consciousness rather than the things that are going through consciousness all the time. Um, and these are, diff these are different techniques for training in the collection of wisdom. And so this is, as we've talked about different strategies of using karma, this is kind of like the main event for strategies of karma. It's, it's valuable to use karma to reduce suffering, reduce future suffering, and create future comfort and affluence. That's necessary. We have to use those strategies of karma as well because we need to have the this, this space and peace and, and, and um, resources in our life to be able to focus on, on spiritual practice. But once we have that space, the, the bigger picture strategy of karma is this development, development of this collection of merit and the collection of wisdom. So that said, um, we can't, we don't become enlightened through karma. So the collection of merit and collection of wisdom, everything I just said is a metaphor and, and it's, a it's a tool, it's a technique, it's a strategy. But the collection of merit and the collection of wisdom are not the causes of Buddhahood. Um, and so this is a bit another one of these paradoxes of enlightenment, of, of the state of Buddhahood, the state of, of awakening. Um, Buddhahood is, um, is not a creating of a new type of consciousness. It's not something like, like the collection of merit and the collection of wisdom gives this impression that like if you just save enough merit in your, in your merit account and you save enough wisdom in your wisdom account, at some point you'll like flip over and, and be a Buddha. Um, but that's, that's not actually, that's not accurate. And the, the reason being that all things created, here's kind of the logical proof for this. All things created through karma are temporary. This is one of the characteristics of samsara and one of the characteristics of karma is that things that are caused are temporary. The causes 
lead to the result, but the result eventually wears out and, and, and it's gone. Um, but Buddhahood and Nirvana are considered to be um, permanent states that, that once one achieves Buddhahood, once one realizes Nirvana, achieves isn't even the right word for it, once one realizes Nirvana, once one awakens to um, the, the, the Dharmakaya, the mind of a Buddha, then that is said to be, um, you can't go backwards from there. Which means that it can't be created through karma. Uh, rather, it's a, a stopping of an error. Um, Buddhahood and Nirvana are uh, a cessation. There's a mistake that we keep making through our dualistic misperceptions, our dualistic misconceptions. And once we stop making that mistake, Buddhahood or Nirvana is the type of consciousness that arises uh, when, the, when the mistake is gone. And that way, that's how Buddha, Buddhahood is said to be a, um, a permanent state or something that you can't revert back from. Nevertheless, the collections of merit and wisdom are necessary to get us to this point where the cessation can occur. Um, the, the, one of the main strategies for karma is that we're trying to set ourselves up to the best of our ability to be able to devote as much of our time and space to our spiritual development as possible. And that, that may mean... Um, deep retreat and long states of meditation, but it may mean that we have enough resources and space in our in our regular lives, like the lives that we live now, that we can cultivate these these aspects of our spiritual lives while we're doing other things and while we're interacting with other people. We can develop spiritually while having a family and having a job and doing all of these other things. And karma is one of the ways that we can do that. This, this idea that we can, by honing and crafting our intentionality and watching the ways that we habitually do selfish and harmful things and reducing those, we can increase our bandwidth and our capacity for, for um, spiritual work, even as we maybe are running around doing running errands and doing all the kinds of normal things in our, in our lives. So we want to create as much space in our mind and as much space in our life that we can emphasize spiritual practice as a priority. And that's what the, that's really the, the kind of the main strategy of using uh, karma for spiritual development. Having these collections of merit and wisdom is what gives us the space in our mind and the commitment and dedication to our practice that um, that we need as doing bodhisattva bodhisattva practices, the bodhisattva motivation of becoming enlightened not just for ourselves but for others. The collection of merit and wisdom is how we can build that into every aspect of our lives throughout everything we do. So. Um, it is possible, however, to lose um, our store of merit. And it's also possible to repair our store of merit, un, um, un, ideally. 
So it's just important to cover these things kind of at the conclusion of the course is that these are things that we need to watch out for. So on the one hand, with the collection of merit and wisdom that I just pontificated on for the last 20 minutes or so, um, that's like uh, what the strategy we really want to focus on. But then on the other hand, we also want to be, we want to watch out for um, things to avoid under all circumstances. Um, these seem kind of extreme, but it's not impossible. And so we have to at least be cognizant that there are ways that we can cause a lot of damage to our collection of merit and, um, and set ourselves up for a lot of problems in our spiritual future. Um, the, one of the, there, are, there are five or six ways to um, destroy uh, a vast amount of merit. And five of these are called, yeah, the five immediate misdeeds. And that's the, if you, um, if you hang around with Buddhists, there's like a lingo, you know, and so the, the immediate misdeeds are one of these ways that um, positive karma can be wiped out. Um, the, the five are, um, killing your mother or your father. And this is considered to be, um, this is considered to destroy positive karma, um, wipe out a backlog of positive karma because um, our parents are responsible for our human birth and they made it so that we survived infancy and childhood. And that um, without them, we don't even have the capacity to do spiritual practice in this life. And that what that makes them is that they're extremely powerful karmic objects. Um, all of these misdeeds are, uh, are about powerful objects. Remember in a previous class, we talked about how to maximize positive karma by, um, by setting the right kind of motivation and, and being intentional about the object. Well, our parents are considered to be extremely potent um, karmic objects. And so the actions that we do towards them create um, intense virtuous or non-virtuous karma. So um, the so on the one hand that, that this this uh, immediate misdeed immediate meaning that that um, at your own that there's that they, it immediately wipes out karma and there's not a way to restore it. That's why they're called immediate misdeeds. Um, but then conversely, that we can create strong positive karma by, um, by acting virtuously towards our parents. Um, the, next mis the next of the, the, these five immediate misdeeds is um, intentionally harming or trying to kill a spiritual being, a holy being. Um, this one has some caveats in that you have to recognize that they're a spiritual being. So um, it's, it, it doesn't count if, if it's an accident or if, there, if, it's a, um, if there's a misunderstanding or a misperception. It has to be an intentional act to, um, to kill or harm a, uh, 
in the in the text they say it's an arhat which would be somebody who's already realized nirvana but i think in our you know in our more multicultural world we want to think of this as any anybody who we see as a very high spiritual realized being um the the next of these is is similar but slightly different and um i think it's easy to bundle them together but it's um intending to harm a buddha so this is similar to the previous one but it's um it's any act of of violence towards a uh, a highly realized being and the 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 last one is um intentionally splitting a spiritual community through divisiveness or or lying and this is one that um you know i i i made that i made that reference to the old sutra where um buddha said that spiritual community is the entirety of the spiritual life he considered the sangha to be the most important aspect of um of spiritual of a spiritual life of spiritual practice so um doing something that intentionally splits a spiritual community is said to be on par or worse than physically harming a buddha because the the sangha the community is the physical manifestation of buddha in the world it is uh, a form of this emanation body of the buddha so we as we look at our spiritual companions as our spiritual friends we need to be aware that from the buddhist perspective they the community itself is as powerful for us as the buddha is uh, as a karmic object and so working for the benefit of the sangha is also is conversely considered to be um, one of the most powerful ways to create merit um this is one of the reasons that um you know most traditional buddhist cultures um e- either if you're if you're not a monk if you're not a monk or a nun and you're ordained and living in a sangha in a spiritual community a monastery if you're not ordained the best thing that you can do to create good karma is to support the monks and nuns and this is this is why so volunteering at a at a monastery or donating food or money to a monastery is considered one of the best ways to create merit um we don't really have monasteries in the west the way that um traditional buddhist cultures do but we do have diamond light and dharma centers and places where people are working together to um help preserve these teachings and create the the lineage you know perpetuate the lineage so uh it, it it seems you know it seems like when we have spiritual friends we want we want to support our spiritual friends but um it is it is possible and um there can be controversies or or disagreements that can lead to um divisiveness within the sangha and that's something we need to be really vigilant about and to to um not get caught up in the interpersonal drama you know it's easy to get kind of swept up in in um 
interpersonal conflicts. But in the case of the Sangha, it's considered uh, crucial to support the Sangha's uh, coherence and unity and not act or speak in ways that um, separate or divide the Sangha. Um, now the next is not um, the next is not considered one of the immediate misdeeds because it's something that um, is done over time, and this is um, the, the this is another method of losing a collection of good karma, and that is to nurture ignorance, to to kind of protect and form intentionally wrong, uh, to, to form wrong views and then hold on to those wrong views. Um, remember when we were talking about the, the 10 um, major precepts in, in, um, in um, the, the vows of morality, the 10th of these um, um, you know, negative precepts would be uh, holding wrong views. And so uh, here it's saying that um, holding wrong views is one of the most destructive things that you can do uh, for not just not creating new good karma and creating new bad karma, but actually wiping out old good karma, like deleting money from the bank account. And so one of the main forms of wrong views is to deny that there's any form of uh, moral causation, that there's a relationship between our moral actions, our ethical actions, and um, that, those, that those actions have future results, that they have consequences. Um, now, this is, this is one that needs, that needs to take place over time. Um, it's not just that you have a moment of thinking, no, karma is a bunch of garbage. I don't believe in that whatever, that's a bunch of nonsense. And then the next day you're like, well, maybe maybe it's not nonsense. I'm going to reconsider. That's not enough to wipe out the past good karma. Um, it has to be, uh, in fact, it says in the texts that this is uh, a problem that intellectuals face primarily. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, getting overeducated and then like getting like so f committed to to your point of view that you can hold it even in the face of uh contrary evidence um that's kind of what this what this is saying that you create a well-reasoned and stable denial of moral causation and and then hold that view for for a long period of time, and so that can like drain past good karma. So that's one of the things that they they caution against. Um, and I think this also makes sense because if you deny that there's any kind of moral causation, then really there's there's no. It's the, the alternative is just that it's a a, a, a violent dog eat dog world where only only the, the strong survive and the, the weak deserve to be torn asunder or whatever. Um, and so you can see how if you held that view, it would lead to a whole cascade of negative actions and speech and thoughts that would create tons of negative karma and not create any good karma. I think all of these are logical. You know, one of the things I like a lot about Buddhism is that, that there are logical proofs for the Buddhist assertions, and we can work our way through these things 
uh, ourselves. Um, and so, and that's, that's one of the ways that I, I hope I'm teaching Buddhism is that I want to set these up as thought experiments that you do. Um, I'm not telling you what to believe. Um, I'm telling you what these, these, um, these assertions that Buddhism is making and then encouraging you to develop your own well-reasoned um, inner experience with them. Which is, of course, exactly what Buddha said. Buddha said, don't take my word for it. Test everything I teach you. And, 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 it only, and only accept it if, you, if it really makes sense to you. So we, when we... And, and you know, I think that's necessary because we have to have a lot of confidence in, in, in these teachings. You know, when I, hear, um, when I hear that we have to have faith in Buddhism... I don't hear faith meaning that we have blind faith, that we believe in something because, um, you know, Buddha said so. But we have faith because we have deep confidence that comes from um, contemplation and reflection and testing these ideas out and putting them into practice in our lives and seeing what the results are. And, and I think doubt is necessary for that. We have to question things deeply. So, so doubting karma, doubting moral causation, is not a, a misdeed. It, it's part of the process of developing a deeper level of confidence, a deeper level of faith and trust. And that deeper level of faith and trust is what makes it possible for us to be more invested in it. And that's when we can actually really start to be effective with altruism. You know, one of the kinds of, one of the forms of altruism is doing nice things for others because it makes us look good or doing nice things for people because we want them to do nice things for us as well. And that's, you know, okay, that's a place to begin. You know, Shanti Deva says that, you know, if you're struggling with generosity, you know, practice giving away things that you don't want because it's easier to give away things you don't want than it is to give away things you do want. But then, you know, loosen the grip on possessiveness a little bit. And when you start to think more deeply about how important generosity is as a principle, as something that underlies everything else in a spiritual life, then you can become more invested in practicing generosity, not just as like giving money to people, but um, that, including that, but deeper than that that there's a, a, an attitude that, of generosity that pervades your life. Um, generosity is the first of the six perfections. And the six perfections are the core practice of the bodhisattva path, the path of, uh, of altruism, the path of achieving Buddhahood by working towards others enlightenment, working towards others' nirvana. And so the, the, I think the, the, that generosity is the condition of possibility for the remaining uh, six perfections. Generosity is this principle that we can loosen the grip on self-cherishing. We start with objects. We start with giving away objects that we think of as my objects. 
But ultimately, we want to get to the point where we loosen our grip on me, like that I'm important and other beings are less important because they're not me. But we want to like, you know, pry our fingers off of that, that, that grip on self-cherishing in order to open up the possibility of um, creating this, this uh, collection of merit through massive altruism. Um, so the, that's what I, I, you know, I believe that generosity is not just the first of the six perfections, but it's actually the foundation of the six perfections. So, you know, we begin, you know, examples of how we move from less virtuous karma to more virtuous karma is that we begin by giving away things we don't want. Um, Shantideva in the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life says, you know, start with a carrot. Give a carrot to somebody. You're not going to miss the carrot. It's fine. But then gradually we want to we want to strategically, like this is my point about using karma strategically. We want to strategically give away things that are more powerful for us to give away, but that we also choose the, the, um, the recipient of our generosity carefully. It's better to give things to people who need them than people who don't need them. Uh, according to Buddhism, it's better to give things to a, a human than an animal because a human has the potential for enlightenment in this lifetime while an, while an animal does not. It's good to give things to animals. It's good to act gener generously towards animals. But we can begin to be more strategic with, our, with the way that we're creating our virtue by choosing higher objects. It's good to treat our, our, be generous with our parents who have been so generous to us by keeping us alive in our in our infancy and childhood. Um, and then even higher, it's good to give, it's good to act generously towards the Sangha, towards uh, a monastic community, if we have access to a monastic community, because giving to the monastic community is like giving to the Buddha, is on par with giving to a real live Buddha who like shows up right in front of you with like light rays coming out of their body or whatever a Buddha looks like. Um, and it, you know, give, we don't have a we don't have a monastery. Then we support our spiritual community. We support our spiritual friends. Acting generously towards them is more powerful, more virtuous, more intensely virtuous karma than other types of objects. And and gradually we learn that we can that we have greater capacity to give because we see ourselves acting generously. We. Um, we can loosen our our grip on ourselves and we realize and in doing we create these habits of generosity we change the way that our mind is working and that gives us an increased capacity now i'm using generosity as an example but this is true of all of the different kinds of virtue this is true of um speaking kindly to people this is true of speaking truthfully this is true of protecting relationships and not and not being manipulative even in little subtle ways and what's the what's the opposite of not being manipulative like how do we with with as much with with as much capacity as we have how do we bring people together how do we speak in ways that that unify people so we 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 can use these principles of karma first we first we learn these principles of karma and then we begin to test them in thought experiments 
I talk a lot about thought experiments because we want to try these ideas out, wrestle with them in our own mind. And then as we start to feel more comfortable with them, we start to think about, well, how would I use these strategically in my own life? What, how, what are some ways that I, can, that I can start increasing my virtuous karma in ways that are like more accessible to me? And then we test those out and we see if they work. And if they start working, if they're reducing suffering and increasing um, happiness and peace, then we can we then we leverage that success and we we increase our capacity and we keep practicing, and and that's how we work strategically, ultimately to the point that we want to be emphasizing this collection of merit and this collection of wisdom with our eye on the bodhisattva path and ultimately reaching nirvana and Buddhahood so that we can ultimately help people in these vast cosmic ways that are inconceivable from our current state of mind. Thanks for tuning in to the Mojo Hito podcast. For show notes, video, and more information, visit mojohito.com.